Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. and Smetty here and for those that say they love all their kids the same that's bull I rank my kids every day welcome to another edition of Golick and Smetty Mike Golick Sr. here along with Jess Matana and we are smack dab taping this right after the college football national championship the game Jess where we wait all year play all those games pick the final four Go through the semifinals, which in the past have been horrible, but this year have been great. Thinking, okay, two really good semifinal games. Now we're going to get a great championship game. And my God, did we get one of the biggest clunkers. The biggest clunker of all time is Georgia beats TCU 65-7 to in the national championship game. Kudos to Georgia. TCU, hey, congrats for getting there. You absolutely deserve to be there. You did everything you needed to do to be there. But boy, Jess, that was a tough one. That was brutal, Mike. I mean, if, if anything, it reminded me of why I watch college football. And it's not for the national championship. It's for, for the journey there, right? So it was yeah. super uh, disappointing. But as I was kind of watching it, feeling disappointed that the season was over and it was ending on such like a downer of a note. Um, this was a really fun college football season. So we're going to talk to Ryan Nanny from the Shutdown Fullcast about the college football season and all of those things. But first, Mike, what, what was your take on the TCU-Georgia game other than the obvious? Haha, it wasn't Notre Dame-Alabama. It was yeah. worse. <laughs> yes, it was worse. So we can finally get off the list, right, or drop down the list. <laughs> I'll be honest, Jess, early on, I know you tweeted it out, and I 1,000% agreed with you when, and I had said this on shows before that, I said TCU is going to be down early in this game. That's kind of their M.O., you know, and then and then they're gonna they're gonna make a move and come back because they can hit you with some big plays. So when Georgia was scoring, and you know we're going, everyone's going, uh oh. I know you tweeted out. If anybody thinks this game is over, you haven't watched TCU play all year. And you were right, even though it didn't work out that you were right because that's what they've done. And then they hit a big play and they score a touchdown. All of a sudden they put seven on the board, and then that that was it. I mean, you you can't go minus three in a turnovers. Uh, to a team like Georgia. You just can't do it. A fumble, a couple of interceptions, and then Georgia just... And, and I didn't think this Georgia team was as good as last year. Obviously a great team, but you're, now you're starting to rank teams when they do back-to-backs like this, having five defenders going like, you know, the first couple of rounds or whatever it was. I mean, I, I think they're a great team this year. I just think they played their best 
TCU made some mistakes, and then when it started to roll, and we saw this, Jess, we saw this with Notre Dame and Alabama. It just it just started to roll and, and got away from you. And I'll say the same thing from an X's and O's standpoint. There were points in this game, because I remember p- people saying, man, this Notre Dame defense, they were number one all year, and then they laid an egg, you know, and, and people were wondering, was it the scheme or whatever? And I had said in that game, the Notre Dame-Alabama game, Players were in position to make the plays. And I've always said this, you could do any kind of X's and O chess match that you want to do. At the end of the day, it comes down to one-on-ones. Did you beat the guy in front of you? Were you in position to make the play? And give Alabama credit in that game. Notre Dame defenders were there to make plays, and Alabama plays, players just beat them. In this game, you saw time and time again at the line of scrimmage, there were TCU defenders there to make a play. The scheme worked. The scheme was fine because players were there to make a play and either it was they didn't by poor tackling or Georgia, because they were superior, made that person miss. So it wasn't like, oh my God. Now some was, but believe me, when it's 65 to 7, it's not all like that where you're, you're not getting touched till the third level. But there were some plays where TCU was there to make. I'm not saying it would have made a difference, but I'm just saying it just shows more Georgia just really, really the, the powerhouse that they are and the ability in one-on-one situations to just win those battles, in some cases, real easily. Yeah, I think, I think if anything, TCU was a very good college football team this year, but Georgia is just a weight class above them and um, played that way. And I don't think TCU really played their best game. And I think even if they did, Georgia still wins that because I think they're, they're better matched, they have better players, and that's what Kirby Smart has built over the last, you know, almost a decade with this Georgia team through recruiting, um, through, you know, having this amount of depth at, at the positions that TCU doesn't have, um, where, you know, if a Georgia player goes down or if a player gets drafted or whatever, like they're reloading, like this is very akin to what Nick Saban did at Alabama. Like one guy goes down, another guy steps in and that's how talented they are. So it was just, um, it was, it was kind of what I expected to be honest, minus the fact that like tack on an extra 35 points like I thought Georgia would win I thought they'd probably cover I think the spread was like 13 points 13 and a half I didn't see 65 points like it it was just really unfortunate how quickly the floodgates were opened in the first half and and TCU making mistakes early I thought with like the fumble like you mentioned um they weren't even even able to keep it close until the half so that certainly uh most people probably didn't even watch the second half I don't know other than Georgia fans, why you would? They were, you know, curtain calling the senior players. Oh, I mean, <laughs> and, like yeah. early in the fourth quarter, like taking Stetson Bennett out. I think there were still like 14 minutes of game clock uh, of gameplay left when they took Stetson Bennett out, if I'm remembering. But yeah, it was a big ass kicking. So I'm, I, th- that is the one thing I'm glad of. The players that normally don't play a lot got to play. So that's a cool thing. You know, a lot of them in their final game and on the biggest stage, the national championship stage. So I thought that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, that I mean, this is one where you just started to see that faraway look in the eyes of the TCU players as they just watched it get away from them more and more. Because as I said, they've come back. I think they were two and one coming back from double digit deficits this year. So we've seen them do it. They have the big strike capability, but it just wasn't happening in this game. And Georgia, listen, they're just going to reload. You know, they'll lose Stetson Bennett, who I think is 32 years old. Uh, <laughs> it's actually 25. Obviously, Carter is going to the NFL, which, which he should. 
They, they get Bowers back again, the tight end, because he has to come back. He's just a true sophomore. He and Michael Mayer, the tight end at Notre Dame, were, uh, were I think, by far the two best tight ends uh, in, in college football. So they're going to have talent coming back because winning begets winning, and more guys are going to want to come there. So it's going to be interesting. As you mentioned, we're going to talk to Ryan in a few minutes about it. But but I wanted to bring up this, and and and, and I don't want to make it sound like I don't think – some of these people should be in there or one I'm going to talk about, but I have to make a comparison. There was another class of college football Hall of Famers, and congratulations to them all. What a phenomenal honor that the College Football Hall of Fame used to be in South Bend at Notre Dame. I believe now it's in Mm -hmm. Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Reggie Bush, you know, kind of, you know, highlighted this. Then there's the, you know, Robert Galleries, the Derek Johnsons, the Jeremy Macklins of the world, uh, Troy Vincent, Brian Westbrook. D'Angelo Williams, and, and a bunch of others who made it. And congrats to them all. And even congrats to this guy I'm going to mention. Uh, his, his name is Michael Stonebreaker, a linebacker from Notre Dame. And Notre Dame has a number of people in the Hall of Fame. And this is not to say Michael Stonebreaker doesn't deserve to be, because he does. He does deserve to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. But And maybe this is biased to, bias to family, but I, you, know, you sit there and they, get, they give everybody's kind of stats and as I said, Stonebreaker, this is not saying he shouldn't be there. He has it to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. My question comes, how is, how is my brother Bob not in the College Football Hall of Fame? I mean, I, I just, I, I don't see it. Stonebreaker, if you go through his stats, again, worthy of the Hall of Fame, you know, a, a consensus All-American, I think he was a two-time All-American, won a national title, um, you know, and, and, and ended up with 200 and some tackles in his career. You know, my brother Bob was a two-time All-American. My brother Bob was a consensus All-American. My brother Bob was the best player on the defense when they won the national championship in, in, in 77. And my brother Bob left Notre Dame as the all-time leading tackler. He was a four-year starter, started when he was 17 years old. He was the all-time leading tackler. And since then, Bob Crable passed him. Um, Bob Crable, another great linebacker at Notre Dame, who is in the College Football Hall of Fame. And Bob, my brother Bob is now second, and Manti is third. And we know Manti is going to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. Manti also has a ton of defensive awards to go along with where you know what what he did in college. But I, I just felt like I had to say and stick up for my brother and say, all these guys have the resume to be in it. And 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 I hope people don't take it the wrong way when I'm saying about Michael Stonebreaker. But I'm just comparing Notre Dame linebacker to Notre Dame linebacker. And if, if the committee feels Stonebreaker deserves to be in, which I agree with, I don't understand how my brother Bob has not gotten into the Hall of Fame. So I, I just, I felt I needed to say that. And I feel I'm not saying it just because I'm biased, even though I am. I really think his resume and stats say he should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. You make a very compelling case. So I, re- I read that Stonebreaker was the 55th Notre Dame player in the Hall of Fame. So there's certainly not, you know, not yeah. letting Notre Dame guys in it. There's plenty. Um, but I will say there is one thing he has that your brother doesn't, which is that his last name is Stonebreaker, and that's just really cool. So maybe, maybe it that's, is a great name. I mean, it. listen, I mean, if your name is Stonebreaker, you probably have to be a linebacker too, right? I mean, yeah. dude was tough as nails. There's no doubt about it in watching him play. <laughs> and it is one of the great football names of all time. So well, I, who, I, I would agree with you Mike, there. let us know who we can send a petition to to get your brother in the Hall of Fame next year. I think you probably have the connection. So let's, and, and let's start thing. a Golik and Smith yeah, petition. Yeah, I'd like to because I don't know where that goes. But, but 
and, and I don't know how long you're eligible, quite honestly. I have, I have no idea how that whole thing works. But uh, but yeah, okay, I'm just I'm just I'm throwing that out there, and, and I will talk to whoever I need to talk to 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 get at least my brother's stats and career in front of those people and say, is this not worthy, you know, of uh, being in the College Football Hall of Fame? Okay, I feel better. I got it off my chest. We'll start the petition now. And here's Ryan Annie. Ryan, thank you for joining us. It's always fun to talk about college football-ish things with you. My first question is, was that the worst national championship game ever? I guess that's really a matter of perspective. Uh, but yeah, inarguably, <laughs> unless, you're a ah. unless you're a Georgia partisan, yeah. Because, look, I know who I'm talking to here, but sometimes when you see a team get whooped, there's something cathartic about it. There's something satisfying. You're like, okay, that's a team that I enjoyed getting whooped. To not use any examples here, people have said, well, now I kind of wish Michigan had made the national title. Because if they had lost 65-7, boy, that's just delightful. But to have it happen to TCU, it's like, well, I can't feel good about that. So, yeah, we can go ahead and say this is, if not the worst, certainly one of the worst. From an entertainment perspective, at least. It certainly takes the pressure off us Notre Dame grads from the 2013 game, you know, yes. the BCS against yes. Alabama. We can be now talked about as not the worst blowout uh, in a championship game, so we're we're happy about that. But now, now everybody is screaming, and I and I literally mean screaming uh, about oh TCU shouldn't have been there. Revisionist history going on now, and, and and I and I can't stand that. They did everything they were supposed to do. They weren't yep. part of the thirteen person committee. They didn't put them in the final four. They just won where they needed to. So they absolutely, positively deserve to be there. Does this, even though we know the system is going to change, does this say anything to you about the system we have in place? I don't think, like, if you take a step back and just think about how playoffs operate in the NFL, in the NBA, whatever you want to pick, blowouts happen. We've, like, it hasn't necessarily happened a lot recently, but there was a long stretch where the Super Bowl was terribly one-sided, where you'd go in and you'd be like, well, okay. They're the Chargers down 21 points before we've even made it out. Great. Thanks a lot for playing. And nobody ever sort of took the perspective of like, oh, well, because it's a blowout, one of these teams doesn't deserve to be here. It's a process, and we all sort of understand how it works. These are the criteria by which you get in. And then you have to win. Like, the whole thing about being mad at TCU is they're also here because they beat a good Michigan team. That didn't happen on accident. That wasn't a thing they just lucked into. Like... Yes, you're going to have stinkers in a playoff, but there is no system that erases that because talent is disparate and because sometimes teams just don't play their best game. There is no system that can account for that. My thought process on the playoff in college football is that the adding more teams to it will probably not equal more competitive games, especially like in the later rounds, because I don't know how many great college football teams there are. To me, it seems like this year Georgia was head and shoulders above the rest of the field, and we saw that in the national championship game. And my question is, how is it that it wasn't just a blowout, you know, they won by two or three touchdowns? How did it become a 65-7 to seven final score for TCU? Like, how are we even playing the same sport, and how did they whip them so badly? Um the, so, uh, full transparency, I didn't watch the second half of this game. The first half <laughs> was what I needed did. to see. Right. In the first half, 
Stetson Bennett played great. He also had so much time. He was just sitting back in the pocket completely unbothered. And he made great throws as a result. But Georgia's offensive line played so well, and TCU's defense did not show up in a lot of meaningful ways. And then on the other side, TCU, for a little bit, was competitive on offense, but not consistently enough and not without making some big mistakes. Like, that fumble they lost in, I think, the first quarter. It was like, you just can't do that in this game. Um, They missed open throws at points in this game where where it's just like, yeah, you can't fall behind the sticks. It felt like there was one stretch where on every first down, TCU was losing yardage, and on every first down for Georgia, they're picking up another first down. So it really felt just like the perfect storm of TCU did not play its best game, not even close, and Georgia probably did. This was one of the most, felt like one of the most efficient and aggressive games that Georgia had all season long, and that just is a bad, bad situation for, like, is this going to be competitive? I mean, I mean, I agree because I, I don't think, and I don't think a lot of people feel Georgia this year was as good as the Georgia team last year, especially on defense. But you can't go, you know, minus three in turnover, you know, against the Georgia team. You can't yeah. run that wide sweep and carry the ball in the wrong hand and make a fundamental mistake like that yep. and get yep. it stripped from you and, and then throw two interceptions as well. So if they play 10 times, it's not going to be 65 to 7 nearly that many times. I think we know that. So is it possible to say that the the moment was too big for TCU or it's just the way a game falls every now and then? I I will choose to be, and this is not in my character, I'll choose to be more optimistic and say that the moment was just right for Georgia because it really felt like this was a game where, and and Kirby's pregame speech is certainly part of this, Georgia decided we're going to go out there and we're going to control every phase possible. We are not going to play, you know, a lot of the Ohio State semifinal was sort of, it felt like they were feeling Ohio State out in the first half, trying to figure out what they would do. That didn't feel like Georgia's plan at all. They said, we will dictate terms on both sides of the ball, in the trenches on both sides of the ball, and we will make TCU do things according to how we want to do them. And, that was a thing that that felt to me like where TCU just what could they have done? Could they have done something to make this, a, uh, you know, a 30 point game instead? Sure. Is there a situation where you say, well, if only they had done these three things, this would have gone into overtime. I don't see what that is. I don't know what that is. There was a, a screenshot of Georgia's schedule for next season going yeah. around Twitter last night during the game because we know it's really hard to repeat a national championship, and Georgia did that very easily, it mm-hmm. seemed like. But it's even harder to win three in a row. And it looks like next year they're not going to have a lot of opposition when it comes to the the non-conference scheduling and even their, their draw in the SEC West. So yep. if – Georgia is your favorite to win next season. Where do, where do you put the probability that they'll be at least back in the national championship game based off of that scheduling? I mean, I, I, I see no scenario where they don't make the playoff. Because even if you say somebody in the West returns to power, maybe, maybe A&M figures it out, maybe Bama goes back to its old ways, maybe LSU is capitalizing on the success they saw this year, whatever you want to pick. None of those teams are going to play Georgia in the regular season. 
And so, most likely, Georgia's going to win the East and play a team they haven't played in the SEC Championship game. If for some reason they lose that game, are you confident they won't make the playoff anyway? Like, we've, see, we've, we've already seen that happen multiple times, and Georgia, I think, will have the resume, the sort of media cachet, and they'll have sort of the claim of, like, we are the two-time champions. You cannot leave us out. You cannot pass us over for, insert, undeserving team, in our opinion, here. And so it's like, what I think the question is really, do I think Georgia will either not win the East, no, or lose one game and then also lose the SEC title game? No. So, like, all paths lead to they go back to the playoff. I, I, I'm not I, – I would love to come up with a more creative answer. I do not have one. Yeah, and listen, once this thing goes to an expanded playoffs, that point is moot because yes. then Alabama would have been in it this year had that happened. So along those lines, is Georgia now the preeminent college football program in the country? Have they overtaken Alabama? I think so. I, I, I think they have the best claim to it, certainly. Um, you know, Alabama this year, the two losses were close, but there were also other games where you were you just sort of were like, this is not the same machine it used to be. This is not the same sort of death compression thing that they have been able to do for so many years. And... I think until there is evidence to the contrary, it looks like Kirby Smart has taken everything he learned from Nick Saban, ported it over to Georgia, and is now doing that at a more efficient pace or a more evolved pace. Because to me, what sticks out is, you know, people have brought up this is a team that didn't rely on the transfer portal. I think looking at that as sort of a moral imperative is not that interesting to me. I don't care if you win with transfers or with people, you know, guys that you recruited and developed. I think winning is winning and winning is hard, no matter, you know, sort of how you got there. But I think there is an efficiency to winning with players that you developed and not having to go to the transfer portal. So many things about just sort of like getting guys used to your system, getting guys who have reps with one another, who understand sort of what your culture is about, things that take more time when you're leaning on the transfer portal. The fact that Georgia can do that with a team that's pretty young this year is like, yeah, they're on a really good track right now in a way that those Bama teams were, and it's really hard to see like what will derail that. You've seen all the, the teams play this year all the way up to the title game. If you now had to re-rank Georgia would be number one. Who yeah. would be the second best team in the country, in your opinion? Gosh. That's a, I mean, if we're going just based off how they played, you can make a really interesting case for Ohio State. You can say, yeah, they lost to Michigan, but they gave Georgia their best game of the season and played their best game of the season. And in many ways, you know, that was a de facto national title game. Um, I think I would probably still go with TCU, both for the body of work and for sort of what they accomplished all season long. Um, but I don't think it would be unreasonable to throw Ohio State in that mix. And, and you know, even though they didn't win their division, the way Penn State closed the year was really interesting as well. And so it's it's really hard to do this without an element of recency bias. Um I think what ultimately you land at is the gap between Georgia and any other team you want to put in here is pretty significant. 
Ryan, it feels um, admittedly very weird to ask you earnest college football questions sure. because um, Ryan used to be my boss at our previous job. He actually <laughs> gave me my first job in sports media, and I don't think we've ever had an earnest conversation before. We have so, about musical theater, but that's it. That's, ac- that's yeah. accurate. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about some of the dumber things happening in college football right now, namely what's happening uh, around the Michigan football program with <laughs> head coach Jim Harbaugh, which I know you're well-versed on because we talked about it on your podcast, yeah. uh, the Shutdown Fullcast last week. So tell our audience what is going on with Jim Harbaugh. What are these NCAA violations? Is he actually going to take an NFL job? Okay, so here's the short version as I best understand it as of today. Um The NCAA learned that two already committed Michigan recruits contacted Jim Harbaugh, said they were on campus, and he said, great, I'll take you out to breakfast. They went to the Brown Jug, which is like a diner diner slash bar uh, in Ann Arbor, where Jim Harbaugh paid for their breakfast on a university credit card and allegedly had two hamburgers with french fries for breakfast himself, which is hilarious for deeply personal reasons. It has been pointed out to me that if you adjust for coaching hours, breakfast might actually be lunch. That's so true. It's, so, so I can understand that by 10 a.m. he might have been That's thinking, like, point. we're on to lunch at this point. Um, now we get to the point. So so that part is the vi- that part is a violation of this happened during the COVID uh, no contact period that was in place for that year, where basically the NCAA said you can't do any in-person recruiting because of COVID restrictions. Other schools have fallen uh, victim to this or, or have, have run afoul of this, I should say. Arizona State is the most prominent. This is an example that feels a little bit like, yeah, I guess technically that is a, a violation, but it's not like they were like holding a recruiting event in the middle of COVID. It's just sort of like, hey, we're in town. Do you want to have breakfast? Still, it's a violation. The big problem and the level one violation, the highest one, is that the NCAA has, in so many words, said that Jim Harbaugh has lied to them about this, that he has denied that this breakfast ever took place, even though there is allegedly a receipt with his signature on it, even though Ah. people have said that they saw him eating breakfast here, and even though that this is, in the grand scheme, an incredibly minor violation, like, if this is true, what will happen? Like, this is not the kind of violation that the NCAA is like, that's it. You miss a bowl game. That's it. We're taking 15 scholarships away. Like, nothing will happen here. But Jim Harbaugh has decided to dig in and insist that this this breakfast did not happen. And, and he will, as far as I know, will just refuse to admit it. At the same time, his agent, it would seem, is out there putting him in position to get NFL jobs. I know, I think the Broncos have already said that they want to interview him. He's been floated for the Colts job. Um, obviously the Arizona job is open now. So like there are places he could go, but now we are in yet another season of Jim Harbaugh playing this kind of confusing, like I'm going to go unless situation with his university at the same time that he is potentially getting said university into unnecessary NCAA hot water. It's very weird. Like the more I explain it, the more I don't understand what's going on or why. Uh, the, the violation is is just stupid. Now listen, yes. I get it; it's a violation, but it, it should cost you ten dollars. It should cost you. <laughs> it should cost you the amount of that breakfast, and say, just don't do that again. Yes. So I have two things. One, real quick, Michigan fans, aside from all that, should be very happy that Blake Corum is deciding to come back 
for his senior year. That was a big blow to them. A guy who, I think, what, had 18 touchdowns, mm-hmm. 14, 1,500 rushing yards. That's cool. The other thing, and I think this is for both of all of us, because we've all been to a breakfast joint. There is no breakfast joint I've been at when you're there in breakfast hours where you can get a burger. So this has to be just for the fact that you're the head coach of a, of Michigan, right? That you're getting special treatment here because they're not even on a menu. You know, if, if it says breakfast 6 o'clock to 11 and you're looking at the breakfast menu, there sure as hell ain't no hamburger on a breakfast so, menu, so, right? So, Mike, here's the thing. This menu, this restaurant, its whole shtick is all the dishes are named after important Michigan people. Jim right. Harbaugh has him as an item on this menu. It's like the steak platter or something. He didn't even, but his dad has the burger is named after him. It's the Jack oh. Harbaugh burger. Okay. So I assume if you're Jim okay. Harbaugh and you walk in and you say, I want two dads, they say, yep, yeah. you can have that. That makes sense then. Okay. I just, I was looking for an answer there. Cause sure. I, I, I wonder if anybody can do that or just if you're, you know, the son of the guy, the burger is named after <laughs> If, if, only, that, if that's yes. us, yeah. Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, and yeah. Tom Crane on a good day. Can get away with this. <laughs> so true. I was trying to quickly Google the famous murderer who went to Michigan and which burger <laughs> was named after him, but I couldn't find it fast enough. So let's just well, let's well just done, move on, Jess. Mike. Go ahead with your nice. question. All right. So I mean, all right. We've talked about Georgia being dominant. Yeah. We talked about Jim Harbaugh and how you know what a situation that is. Let, let's get to the to the real breakdown here that we need. What does Sam Hartman do for Notre Dame, being the quarterback? How Gosh. far do they now, are they able to go next year? And then I have um, a follow-up. I regret to say I think this is really good for Notre Dame. Like, like I have, there were, I say this because, so I'm a Florida fan. Florida got Graham Mertz in the transfer portal. And everybody was just sort of like, wait, what? That's yeah. that's Why? what happened? Yeah. And Sam Hartman was somebody that, you know, on message boards and whatever was sort of like, oh, that's, he would be interested. But the fact that he's going to Notre Dame, like, I feel very good about what that means for the Notre Dame offense going forward. I think they will still have some questions in year two under Marcus Freeman and, I'm not like necessarily at the point where I'm like, yep, sign him up for an undefeated schedule. But Sam Hartman did so much well at Wake Forest in, you know, talent challenging circumstances. A lot of the time there, there, you know, most of the time you're not looking around and saying like, okay, Wake Forest has the most talented offense on the field or the most talented unit on the field, but he still managed to thrive. And even when they didn't win, they put the fear into a lot of teams over his tenure there. And so, yeah, like, I think this is a really, really good thing for, for the fighting Irish. And I'm not when, super when, happy about it. When you said you're not, when you say you're not happy about it, you're not yeah. happy because he didn't go to Florida or you dislike Notre Dame. Oh, it's just Jess. I like, I just uh, hate this for Jess. He hates yeah. Me. Okay. yeah. And it actually really, I remember Ryan saying years ago on his show that, um, he hired me in spite of me having Notre Dame on my resume <laughs> when I applied for my job at SB Nation. And so I've, I've remembered that. And when Sam Hartman is lifting the college football playoff trophy next year for Notre look, Dame, I will not let you celebrate it look, for one second. Here, here is the context. When, when, when we hired Jess, 
the Cubs had not won the World Series. Clemson had not won a national title. Those things happened almost immediately after right. just after just started working with us. So I feel like Jess has had enough. I feel like enough has gone well for her that like some wealth no. should be shared. No, 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 no. All I right. Need, we no, Notre Dame needs to win something before that can be true. I think. Boy, I, f- I feel I need to stay out of this conversation. You guys got a history there. What one thing I'll say is, and this is, un, un, it, you, we always say no disrespect to, yeah. but. It just is. The two quarterbacks at Notre Dame were Drew Prime paid most of the way, uh, but, but between he and Buckner, that Sam Hartman's going to throw for more than 2,692 yards, a higher completion percentage than 62%, and more than 25 touchdowns. You know, he's had 75, I think, touchdowns in the last two years. So I think it's going to help. And I think even more important question, and, and this one obviously is, is more based on having to know a lot and what they look like. And I'm still going through and trying to study. But right now, I have not found a better-looking quarterback, head coach <laughs> duo in college football. Sam Hartman's beard is money. The guy's a good-looking dude. Yeah. We all know Marcus Freeman's a good-looking dude. Yeah. I don't know if there's going to be now or when the last time you had a better-looking quarterback and head coach combination. It is disarmingly handsome. You're yes, right. yes. Right. Also, like... When is assuming all goes well and assuming Sam Hartman stays healthy, which I do, when is the last time Notre Dame just had quarterback stability? It's been a while since you could just say, Yep, like the same guy was out there for ten straight games or something. It feels like the last couple years there's been because of injury or because of right. performance or because of coach whim, it's just been like, I don't know, we had three dudes who threw a hundred passes this year. And and just the stress that that puts on the other parts of an offense and offensive coordinator, I think just bringing in somebody senior who's seen, who's like proven himself in this environment and just sort of saying like, yeah, that's the guy. Everybody just be cool. That feels like it's a good thing for more than just this one position. I think that's a a funny point because there was like one year of Ian book coming back where there wasn't a quarterback controversy, but going back even, I want to say until like Jimmy Clausen, there has been something every single year since that year, except for maybe one season of Ian book where shit has hit the fan around the quarterback (laughs) position. And it has been such a spectacularly weird. Uh, Brian Kelly was very good at quarterback competition controversies heading into <laughs> August camp, and that is not something that I miss particularly. Sure. Um, although I guess technically there was one this year with Buckner and Drew Pine, but yes, Ryan, it is a it is a good point, and I think that is one of the reasons Notre Dame fans are very excited about. Uh, Sam Hartman transferring into the university and in the and the topic of being handsome um, I can't even name a, a handsome college football coach other than Marcus Freeman so that's that's a tough place to start Mike yeah. it is. I'm sure there are others out there but none you know just go bam wow well in the okay. same way we're talking about yeah. like what's the gap between Georgia one whoever right. two <laughs> Marcus is one there's certainly another handsome number two here but like we're talking about we're talking about two different things yeah yeah completely agree I think we're all on the same page with that one well done I have I have a couple candidates for favorite games of the season, mm. but I want to hear yours first. And instead of doing like, you know, the best game or whatever, maybe like the dumbest game and the most memorable game. Um gosh, this is this one's tough too because recency bias will play a big factor because bowl season was really good this year. Yeah. Um I'm very tempted to pick Tulane USC 
as certainly one of the most entertaining games that I watched all year. Um, and just like the fact that it happened to Tulane and that it included the Heisman winner and, you know, like I, right now that's where my heart is for the one that I was like, oh, wow, this is like really what college football at its best is all about at its most entertaining. Um, dumbest game. I mean, Texas A&M gave us so many choices. Miami I, I think it's, so it's really hard to not pick a Texas A&M game. I'll give you mine if it yeah, yeah. Like, sparks any any memories. So my, my most entertaining game was also the Tulane-USC game just Phenomenal. because of the 15-point the comeback with four yes. minutes to go. Um, and, and all of the, that that means for Tulane and, and their program and everything. My dumbest game, bar none, Miami-Middle Tennessee. If you watch that game, <laughs> you will never, ever, ever see anything like it. And that's, in, that's even saying it's more insane and stupid than the Miami-Duke game where there were eight turnovers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just a bad season for Miami. Obviously, I live in Miami, so I have to like rub it in a little bit because the expectations for them were so high going into the season. But that Middle Tennessee State game was absolutely the stupidest thing I've ever watched. I think the if I have to pick like the clunker of a game this year, it's Tennessee-Georgia. That was the one that like not oh, only yeah. was hyped as like this is going to be a thing, but you kind of believed it. It was sort of like, well, they beat Bama. And Hendon Hookers looked great and played great. And Josh Heupel really seems to have figured something out with this team. So, like, yeah. And it just never, like, there was no point in that game where you were like, oh, yeah, this is really going to, no. It just immediately just did not land at all. You know, there are a lot of injuries, too, during the year. And and none of them are are ever good. But that Hendon Hooker injury, I mean, the year he had, this guy was up for the Heisman, which he should have been. And then to to do what, what, what happened to him is really... Really a shame because that that dude was having a monster year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was probably the biggest. That was one of the biggest bummers of yeah. the year. I would definitely yeah. say. Yeah. If we want to go back to week one, though, LSU Florida State is definitely <laughs> in the pantheon of stupid games. Um, and you, you wouldn't have expected that in that week one game on, I think it was, it was the Sunday or Monday night game uh, Yeah, I think it was that the LSU one, yeah. beating Alabama later in the season would probably have an impact on the national championship game. Right. Um, but it did. So thanks Brian Kelly. I, was, I, think, yeah. I think it also shows just how different a team is because there's no preseason games of a team in college in week one and a team in college in week seven and just how different they are. Yeah, uh, because I'm of the And week of, two. Week yeah. two shouldn't matter at all. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. losses don't matter. <laughs> You're right about that. Absolutely right. 100% agree, Jess. <laughs> also week five when you play Stanford at home. Anyways, That's Ryan, boy. it right. was great to have you on. Thanks for strolling down the 2022 college football memory lane with us um glad you got a lot of sleep during the national championship game it's, a, it's always nice to catch up on sleep when the team is up 30 points at half thanks time, hey so. georgia knew it was a school night georgia's about academics yeah. first and i appreciate that and we are so happy guys. with all that talk that the headline of our conversation will be you saying notre dame wins a national championship damn it yeah. i got tricked into it again <laughs> <laughs> thank thanks. you guys for having thanks, me appreciate it. Thank you. all right see ya <laughs> Mike, we need to talk about the NFL playoff picture finally being set. But first, we need to talk about a team that did not make the playoffs um, that won me a bet this weekend. 
And that team is the Pittsburgh Steelers, my favorite football team. At the beginning of the NFL season, you said that they would finish last in the division in the AFC North. They finished second to last ahead of the Cleveland Browns, which I said they would finish ahead of. Uh, it was a miraculous comeback of a season for the Steelers. Midway through the year, it looked like they were going to be the first team to finish uh, with a losing record in Mike Tomlin's entire coaching tenure. Uh, and that was not what happened. They ended up winning, I think, seven of the last nine games, finished nine and eight. They were one field goal kick away in the Miami Jets game from making the playoffs, uh, despite starting the season two and six. So, Mike, I don't know what we wagered on this bet. I don't think it, we probably wagered anything on it, but um, I think maybe you should just write me a check for like 500 bucks and, and mail it to me because I won. I, <laughs> I won the wager. You lost. I, I, amazingly enough, I saw your mouth moving, but I have no idea what you were saying. <laughs> I, I couldn't hear anything there. So $500. I, yeah. Uh, ha, ha, ha. You're right. Listen, the way they finished, what did they win? They won seven out of their last eight. Or no, I'm sorry, six. You were right. Six out of their last seven. Just, just a great run by them and with a rookie quarterback. So they yeah. certainly weren't airing the ball out by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, now, you know, between Fryermuth, the tight end, Najee Harris, the running back, uh, and and Pickett, the, the quarterback, you kind of have your core of what you're going forward with and now how you're going to build. And it was stunning to me that two teams, Pittsburgh and Green Bay, put themselves in position, Green Bay actually better position in Week 18, to make the playoffs. Pittsburgh you know, needed the win and needed some help, which they didn't get. Green Bay had their, you know, they controlled their own destiny. And I, that's a game I called. I was in Green Bay for the Green Bay-Detroit game, and we'll get into that, and kudos to Detroit. But but you're right. I mean, so for Mike Tomlin now, what was that, his 16th year, I believe that he, he's been, every year he's been the head coach. I think their 18th or 19th year straight since Ben Roethlisberger got there in 04, uh, I believe it's been they, they have had a winning season. It's an incredible run for an incredible franchise that it has two co three coaches since 1969, Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin. Great testament to them and how they played. Um, so you won the bet. I just I just was was I was trying to vamp there and I looked back and our bet was just a gentleman's wager. It was just it was just what? that. What there was that? no money on the line. There was no five hundred dollars. It was just. Oh, you got the best of me on that one, Jess. Good job. So unless you can find proof otherwise, there will be no money exchanging hands. What do you think of that? I don't like that at all. I'm going to yeah. go back and check the tape, and I'll yeah. get back to you. I think that a, a handwritten check is in order for this wager, but we'll, we'll put that in the things to do after the show <laughs> as well as the Bob Golick College Football yes. Hall of Fame petition, and, and then we'll get back to that next week maybe. So, yeah. Mike, you said um, you were calling the Packers-Lions game. So let's start there. The Packers missed the playoff. The Lions missed the playoff. Um, but this was still a really important game for the Packers, yeah. and, and the Lions really weren't playing for anything because uh, Seattle had won earlier in the day, <laughs> which was a, also a crazy game. I mean, there, yeah. were, there were a lot of good finishes in, in this Week 18 uh, slate. But what is your reaction to now all of the Aaron Rodgers uh, wow. offseason drama that we're about to experience and, and your takeaways from maybe what – to expect from the Lions moving forward. So that game, Jess, so I always go down on the field. I have to do a hit probably 45 minutes before the game. 
And I do it from the field because I like going down on the field and, and talking to some of the players and the coaches and just kind of being down there, see how the kickers are doing, is there a win, blah, 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 all that analyst shit you're supposed to do. So I always <laughs> go down there. And so this game started at 7.20 Central Time, 8.20 Eastern Time. So 7.20, so 6.30 uh, Central Time is when I do my hit on the field, when the players are out there. I was down on the field, Jess, and it was 6.20. And at this point, players are normally out there. Kickers for sure, other players warming up. Jess, there was nobody on the field. Nobody. They were all in the locker room because the Seattle game went to overtime. They were all in the locker room. (laughs) Watching that game, because again, if you don't know, if Seattle was playing the four four o'clock slot, if Seattle lost that game, the winner of Green Bay, Detroit was going to be in the playoffs. And if Seattle won that game, that knocked the Lions out and they were playing for nothing. So I'm down on the field, freezing my ass off, getting ready for this hit, (laughs) going, nobody's out here. I'm I'm going back up to the booth because nobody's out here and they're not coming out until after overtime is over. So I ended up back in the booth, and sure enough, after the overtime was over, that's when the players filtered out on the field. And I'm on Ross St. Brown. They're a great wide receiver. We talked to him after the game, and I asked him, I said, what did Dan say to you, say to you guys after the Seattle loss right there in the locker room before you guys came out in the field? He said, honestly, he said nothing because he said everything to us Saturday night in our team meeting. We went over, you know, both sides of it and just how we were going to play in either scenario. So he said he didn't have to say anything to us. We knew we were going balls to the wall. We were going to play our hearts out here. <laughs> play, and, and, and they did. They were the better team with nothing on the line. And Green Bay had everything on the line and couldn't pull out the win. So nothing but a tip of the cap to Dan Campbell and that Detroit Lion team, which, by the way, has an offense that was near the top five all year in scoring and yards. They have a defense, while they didn't rank well, the stats weren't phenomenal, they've had five to six contributing rookies, Jess, that that they can build on. Of all the rookies, there was obviously Aiden Hutchin, but this kid, Houston, who, who didn't play till the last six games and had eight sacks in those six games, another rookie, their rookies all combined ended up with 20 and a half sacks. That was an NFL record. In 1999, the Tennessee Titans had 19 sacks. This Detroit Lion team had more rookie sacks than any team in the history of the NFL. So what a building block to build on for Detroit. So kudos to them, tip of the cap to them and how they played, period, end of paragraph, Green Bay Packers. Man, <laughs> I mean, what a, what, 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 what a shit show that is when nice. you have everything in the world to play for and you don't pull out the victory. And then, of course... You know you're going to get the obligatory question to Aaron Rodgers, and I get the question, but there's no way you're ever going to get an answer from a player at the end of the last game when your season's over, are you retiring? I mean, there's no way anybody is in position to answer that, and that's what Aaron said. He said, listen, this is a little raw. I need emotions to be out of this, but I also won't hold the Packers hostage, you know, because he said free agency is in March, so you got to kind of, you know, make your decision in there. Uh, if you ask me, I think he'll be back next year. Uh, everybody keeps saying, well, they got to find out from, about Jordan Love. No, you don't. Your best chance, if you're going to go to a Super Bowl, I mean, yes, you do about Jordan Love. But if Aaron Rodgers wants to come back and you have a team now that you've gotten to work with these wide receivers, these young wide receivers. Remember, Christian Watson dropped that first long pass in game one. And everyone was like, oh, my God. Christian Watson ended up having a phenomenal year. 
And they have other uh, rookie receivers that got a lot of experience. So I would see this team getting better next year. So to me, I think Aaron Rodgers will play there next year. And I know everybody said he had an emotional moment with Randall Cobb. Somebody asked him for his jersey. He said, I think I'm going to hang on to this one. So who knows? Again, there's emotion right after the game involved. He needs to go, you know, to some beachy place with his new girlfriend, <laughs> just hang out for a while. And, and, and he does. needs to take emotion out of it and then decide what he wants to do because there's obviously money implications with the new deal he got and everything. So I, I don't – I guess my odds are highest odds he's back in Green Bay, next highest odds he's playing for another team, third option would be he retires. So where are you on that? I think he's coming back to Green Bay. But I yeah. also thought Tom Brady was never going to leave New England. So I'm True. I did I did as well. You're right. Um, we should probably talk about some teams that actually made the playoffs, some some winners. Yeah. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs secured the one seed in the AFC. The Philadelphia Eagles, your former team, has the one seed in the NFC. Uh, do you have any, any bold predictions for who we are going to be watching uh, play in either championship game or – or are any upsets over Wild Card Weekend? I'm, I'm trying to look at the possibility of the upsets. I think the Chargers are playing a lot better, but would we be shocked if Jacksonville got a win? Jacksonville's playing really well. Absolutely not. They're, yeah. they're, they're playing very, very well. While the Chargers are playing well and played well enough toward the end to make it into the playoffs, that would not shock me. Listen, the, the, game, the game I'm doing, I'm going to Cincinnati and, and calling the Baltimore and Cincinnati game. This all depends on Lamar Jackson, right? And we have no idea still. I'm getting all the notes and talking to everybody, and they don't know yet about that. John Harbaugh just plays the, we won't have the injury report till Wednesday, and I know I won't talk to you guys uh, until then, blah, 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 that whole thing. If he's not playing, I don't think Cincinnati has a shot. Huntley, while I think is a good backup, I don't think it's taken in there. And then Anthony Brown, who played in the last game, who I covered him in the Fiesta Bowl when he was with Oregon playing against Texas, he, he has been struggling a bit as well. So I don't see that one. We saw what Miami did up in Buffalo right toward the end of the year. It was a, it was a field goal at the end of the game for Buffalo to get that win. But I would still be surprised because, again, we don't know about Tua and what's going yeah. on in that situation. Um, four or five, do we consider if, Tampa, if Dallas beats Tampa Bay, do we consider that an upset? You know, it's kind of no. like, like the 8-9 in the NCAA tournament. You know, right. I, I don't really look at that as an upset. Would not shock me, Jess, the Giants, because Minnesota, are we all in on Minnesota? I mean, Absolutely they look great. not, but yes. it, it's a 4 o'clock game, and I know that there's the, the Kirk Cousins primetime curse believers in, of, of NFL fans, so I don't know if that uh, impacts your, your decision-making since they're playing at 4.30 against the Giants. There's, there's part of me that wants to keep Minnesota winning so I can still see a shirtless Kirk Cousins with chains on, you know, so I hope <laughs> that keeps going. But for the Giants, one thing I'll say – I wasn't sure about Daniel Jones. I didn't think he'd be the guy there. Again, he's not throwing for a ton of touchdowns, but he also doesn't throw interceptions. So I think he is going to get paid and be the Giants quarterback. Um, I, and I, I don't see Seattle taking out San Fran. If you're asking me, um, I, I think the top two teams in the NFC will end up fighting it out. I think that's Philadelphia and San Francisco for the Super Bowl. And in the AFC, I think you have Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati, and then a drop-off to everybody else. So I think that's the battle for the AFC. Cincinnati's doing exactly what they did last year. 
peaking at the right time, and they made it all the way to the Super Bowl. The Bills fans are just waiting, saying, wait, we have this team right now, man. You know, we should be able to to capitalize on the talent that we have, and then Kansas City is Kansas City. So if you're asking me to pick one upset, one, and I'm, I'm staying away from the 4-5, so I can't go Jacksonville, so it's really the, the other games, I would probably – I probably lean toward the Giants at Minnesota, saying okay. the Giants Giants have a shot there. Interesting. So I think in I think I agree with you in the NFC. I anticipate we'll be watching Philadelphia and San Francisco in the NFC championship game. In the AFC, I think it's gonna be the same as last year. It's gonna come down to Cincinnati uh, and Buffalo versus Kansas City. Um, so no upsets there. I guess maybe if I had to predict one, it would be this this Sunday night game with um, the Bengals and the Ravens just because I don't know what's going to happen injury-wise, but right, it's right. a divisional game in the wild card round. And if there are upsets, those, are te- those tend to be the games where you see them because these teams really know each other. They've already played each other twice this season. Um, and... I don't know. I, who the hell knows? I said we had to pick an upset, so there it is. I don't think Miami without Tua is going yeah. to have a shot against Buffalo. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater also is injured. He's their right. backup, so they're they're on Skylar Thompson and, and Mike Lennon are their, are their rostered quarterbacks right now if neither of those guys can play. Um, and then, yeah, on the NFC side, I mean, Tampa is the fourth team to make the playoffs with a losing record in, in history or something like that. So I don't consider either, either result there an upset. Um, I also – I don't know about the Giants. I mean – I know, yeah. But I don't know about the Vikings either. Yeah. So the, <laughs> that's going to that, be a weird one. <laughs> that, that's the thing. I, and I think you bring up the point. To, to put them together, I mean, the two biggest question marks are, is Tua going to play and Lamar going to play? Because we yeah. don't feel those two teams, Baltimore or Miami, really have a shot without those guys. The first game of the season I did this year was Tampa Bay at Dallas. And what a direct game that was. It was an <laughs> awful football game. And at the end of it, that's when Dak hurt his thumb. So then he yeah. missed the next five games. And now they're meeting in, in the wild card round. I'm sorry. Super wild card. Super round. wild card round. Yes, like that makes it. It's almost like you can't call the first, you know, the first games of the NCAA tournament the play-ins. You have to call it the first round, which is bullshit. It's play-in games. You know that you have to call this the super wild card weekend. But I, I don't know what to expect here. Tampa Bay's offense still isn't very good, and the Cowboys, God knows what you're going to get out of them. Right. So, and right. that's the standalone Monday night game. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what goes on there, but. Uh, uh, it was uh, an interesting year. Now we have all the coaching firings, you know, and who's going to fill those slots. I think that one of the first guys in position to grab all the money is going to be Sean Payton, you know. But, but, it, but I was, was going to say, it sounds like Jim Harbaugh is going to be coaching four different teams next year. Well, it's exa- and, and we go through this yet again, and he always says, <laughs> right now I'm coaching Michigan, and we're like, hell yeah, right now. That's exactly right. You're not lying. His yeah. statement was so oh. Oh so Jim God. Harbaugh. So wishy-washy, right? yeah. I mean, it's so Jim Harbaugh. So, I mean, those are the two oddest names, right? And, and you got to wonder, and for those that don't know, for Sean Payton, any team that wants to talk to him has to get permission from the Saints because he's under contract for the Saints for the next two years. There will be compensation. The Saints will get draft picks or something along those lines uh, if Sean signs somewhere else. But you got to believe – he and Jerry Jones, they're waiting, right, to see what Mike McCarthy does with the Cowboys and how far 
do the Cowboys have to go that won't cost Mike McCarthy his job, which I think immediately would just everybody throw in Sean Payton going there and getting paid just a, a Brinks truck full of money to go there. And I think that um, Jerry Jones did give Mike McCarthy the dreaded boat of confidence on his radio show this week. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. It, it depends what happens there. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll beat Tampa and then, uh, again, another – uh, divisional rivalry against uh, the Eagles if that yeah. happens. And if they win that game, Mike McCarthy's not getting fired. No, but that's, I agree. That's a big if. So I, I would <laughs> job, agree. job probably on the line. I would I would definitely agree. All right, Jesse, I didn't even know. I didn't even ask you. Are you going to be out here in Arizona for the Super Bowl? I think I will be, Mike. Okay. Actually, I actually just received an email about it, right, as you uh, oh, asked me that, that question. Huh? I was looking at my phone because my dog is taking a nap next to me, and she's very cute, so I took a picture of her. Uh, of course um, you did. And before, before we sign off, I wanted to tell you what I did during the national championship game, which is uh, I baked strawberry jam, uh, I guess strawberry jam bars, they were called. Um, I'll send you a picture. Maybe I'll bring some to Arizona. Again, I'm, I'm, if you, and I'm sure when you bake the strawberry jam bars or any kind of dessert <laughs> that has a fruit in it, I'm sure it's fantastic. But just know if I'm ever in the thought process I know. Of, of goodies, I am not a fruit compote but or a fruit guy. But it, there's so much sugar in it. Like, you don't even taste the fruit, all right? You I mean, I'll try it because you've made it. But you it's will not, like it. It's, I, I'm sure I will, but it's always not my, not my favorite. But I, I, still, I, I will certainly try it. I would think, since I'm your elder the way I am, that you'd want to bake something I might like. But hey, if you don't care, give a shit about me, that's fine too. <laughs> All right, well, I'll see you next week then. Yeah. <laughs>